This is Bob Cudmore. The Historian's episode with David Brooks of Schoharie Crossing begins in just a few seconds. You can access the podcast here on my website, bobcudmore.com, on SoundCloud, and The Historian's is now heard on RISE, WMHT's radio service for the blind and print disabled. The GoFundMe campaign continues to support the podcast. Please make a donation at GoFundMe.com slash The Historian's or send a check to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. The Historian's Podcast, great stories from our past. And now, on with the show. We welcome to the Historian's David Brooks, Education Coordinator, Recreation and Parks Aid at Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site in Fort Hunter. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Bob. Thanks for having me. Good to have you with us, David. And David has a specific story I'd like to uh, get going with as, as soon as we could. We'll talk with him in general about Schoharie Crossing in uh, just a few minutes. You have at the Schoharie Crossing, which is in uh, Fort Hunter, the state historic site, you've come into possession, I guess, a person has bequeathed to you a journal from 1869. Can you tell us about it? Correct. Yeah, this was a, a journal uh, that was kept by a Fort Hunter resident. Um, the the diary itself was uh, printed for the trade, which means that it was uh, bound and sold as a diary. Uh, 1868 is the date on it. But the, the diarist uh, had used it in 1869. So what I find also additionally fascinating, not only the content in it, uh, but they use it the year after, uh, every day making uh, a change to the date um, that was already printed, uh, kind of gives an indication perhaps of um, how they viewed or utilized um, the products around them at the time. Um, it was sort of a waste not, want not, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Do you know who wrote it, or is that known or not known? Um, no, uh, the gift was given to us um, by Cl uh, Clark Blair and it was previous to that the daughter of uh, Gertrude Ruck which was the widow of a former Fultonville postmaster and uh, some of the paperwork that we have uh, that came with it um, that this Gertrude Ruck was a descendant of Michael Brown who was an owner of the Brown's cash store uh, which was previously located uh, where Lock 30 on the Enlarged Canal was uh, that was located actually within the boundaries of the historic site. Um, but there's nothing in it that really indicates who is writing in it. There's a lot of notable names for the community. There's an Ebenezer Howard of the Howard Broom Company, um, a few other names, the Voorhees family, the Enders family, as mentioned several times, uh, the Wemple family as well. But... There, there's no part of it that, in reading, that you can really nail down who was holding the pen at the time. Um, so there, there's that element of mystery that uh, I, I, as much as the investigator within me wants to discover this, and, and hopefully with time we will, uh, the, the element of that mystery is, I think, really what kind of compels a lot of us to enjoy history and have a passion for it, to keep searching. Sure. Do you think it's a man or a woman? Um, from from the various um, 
details about their daily life and the work they're performing, it's, it strongly indicates that it's a male uh, working in capacity of everything from construction. Uh, there were some references to helping out building barns, um, haying of fields, tending for cattle, uh, building fences, and slaughtering of animals. Um, wouldn't typically be the, the work for women at that day and age. Mm. And uh, David, I'm sure this is, uh, has occurred to you. I'm a great fan of uh, diaries. One of my favorite books uh, from English literature was uh, James uh, Boswell's diaries of his life when he was a young man. Uh, and also Samuel Pepys in English literature wrote a great diary. And people did that kind of thing then. Now this would be a Facebook page. Exactly. I, I, I've made a, a few allusions to that, too. And uh, what's great about this is it's still that tangible uh, element that we can hold on to. And um, I'd hate to think, you know, hundreds of years down the road uh, for historians to be looking back through social media. Um, I, I'd, I'd hate to think really what they they would think of the majority of, of humanity at that point in time. Um, but that's a, that's a personal opinion. But when it comes to this diary, I, I, I'm glad that you pointed out there have been so many other journals and diaries kept, um, and a lot of time the attention is given to those more prominent figures, those famous people. Um, what what compels me to, to look into this and, and why I'm so fascinated in reading the pages is that it's it's not uh, a well-to-do or prominent figure necessarily. It's, it's the everyday life of this particular man um, for several months out of this year. Uh, and we don't have any other indications like I said, not knowing who it was as to what their life really had been or evolved into, but it's just this glimpse of, glimpse of really uh, brief moments in time. Mm -hmm. uh, and the diary from 1869, what part of the year does it cover? Uh, it, it starts on Saturday, March 13th, and ends on Friday, December 31st. So there is actually um, the first three months uh, weren't in there. Those pages are actually... Um, noted of different accounts, uh, you know, half days work for so-and-so that he earned such and such amount of money. Um, and there, throughout the, that other period of time, there's a few pages here and there that are missing. Uh, when it came to us, it had been lost to time as well. Mm. I, I noticed then he, he uh, doesn't write about the worst part of the winter, you know, January yeah. or March. Maybe, maybe it was a winter like this one. Uh, that that's that's a good possibility. His hands perhaps too cold to write, or it was just unpleasant enough not to remember. But the weather is very important. I recall you uh, in, a, in a story you wrote about uh, the diary for New York History Blog. You said the weather is very important in this diary. Correct. Yeah. Every day starts off with uh, some comment as to whether it rained today. Uh, there's quite a few days that apparently in 1869 were quite pleasant. Um, and there's other indications, too, uh, that it was raining, either it rained last night. Um, and one of the things that, and I'm glad you mentioned that the short article that I wrote for it, um, the weather is extremely important, particularly uh, as much as we can talk about it now, but in that era where um, every day you were kind of reliant on what the weather was going to give you, um, whether it was a day you could work in the fields, if you had enough time to get your wood in to stay warm during the winter, um, you're constantly needing to be aware of what the forecast was uh, or what, you know, had been going on. Um, particularly here, uh, what I'd like to note, too, is the amount of rain that he was noting 
on which days, um, because as anybody might be aware, the Schoharie and the Mohawk Rivers coming together, it's it's flood prone. So I'm, I'm sure that that was really um, something on the minds of all the local residents, uh, keeping their eyes on, on weather uh, forecasting or, or the rain any particular day. And you have a couple of excerpts you'd like to read from the diary, or could you do one of those? Um, yeah, we were speaking about um, uh, rain. There's, there's one from Thursday, September 9th. Uh, it simply is, it has been quite good today. Rained very hard last night. I have been making fence down by the old lock today. Um, so not only is that the mention about how the weather is, uh, what I find interesting about that um, is the reference not only to what he had done with the day of making fence, but he's, he mentions the old lock. And in 1869, the enlarged era of the canal would be going through, which would pass over uh, what we have the remains of now, the Schoharie Creek Aqueduct. Um, so when the references to the old lock, uh, to me and, and a few others I've discussed this with, we kind of make the presumption that that would have been on the original canal. Uh, which we still have a portion of the 1820s canal um, that went through Fort Hunter, that they still had locks on the ends of um, the the western and eastern side of Schoharie Creek to regulate some water flow, in particular as a feeder canal into the rest of uh, the system. Mm -hmm. um, there's also there another an... one. What's that? No, uh, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask if there was another excerpt you wanted to read, but yeah. if you have more to say about this one, go ahead. Uh, no, no, I, I had another one from uh, Thursday, October 19th, uh, where he notes that he picked apples at Yankee Hill, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, near the location we actually call Yankee Hill Lock 28. Um, it's where the Putnam Canal store is now. Um, what I find interesting is looking back uh, after coming across that um, into the springtime, these are probably the trees that he notes uh, a few days uh, it was a Friday afternoon where he spent um, a lot of time trimming apple trees at Yankee Hill, and that was on uh, Friday the 30th of April. Um, so you see that there's kind of this pattern. You get to, um, I guess, you know, the, the work's fruition uh, in, a, in kind of a literal sense here. Um, there's also uh, July 7th where he's hoeing potatoes. Uh, so references to, to those daily activities, but looking back in May, uh, there's note of when he planted them. So he's also tracking uh, his crop progression as well. Mm. Is there any, I know it's the excerpts you've uh, talked about, you know, the weather and the work, is that the main focus? Do you, do you, uh, do you read anything in there about family or uh, I don't know, other things, you know, to, to personalize it? Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of really interesting personalized touches. Uh, not so much, his family. There's a lot of references to the Voorhees family. Uh, whoever this was, was somewhere closely linked to that family, uh, being friends with Jim Voorhees and John Voorhees. Um, there's actually, uh, it, it seems kind of odd, it's like a very passing reference to Jim Voorhees being married on Thursday, October 7th, in 1869. Um, and so I looked into that a little bit more, and it was a Margaret McClumpha that, that he married. Um, but Again, it seemed strange to me that it that it was it was almost an afterthought. But there are mentionings of, of other uh, people in town, um, other activities. Um, for anybody that might be a sports enthusiast, there is a reference on May 15th 
that not only is it work-related, um, he says, I took the young cattle over the river, then went up to Wilson's where they was playing ball. Yeah. Um, I'm not a I'm not a huge sports enthusiast myself, but I could only assume that maybe that's you know the American pastime. There perhaps there was a a, a small baseball game going on, um, and I'm not really sure if Wilson's would be the last name of of someone or the or a first name. Um, but if anybody has information about that, must contact sure. me. That'd be fantastic. Well, pretentious twit that I am, I often throw in these things. I, I did a column. Uh, I mean, Amsterdam, the city of Amsterdam or Van Village had a link to the start of uh, baseball. A gentleman whose name eludes me went on to be the first baseball commissioner. I don't think they were playing baseball before he left Amsterdam and he left to go to the Civil War, but they played it during the Civil War. Uh, the, and the other thing was, um, oh, what's the, oh, the British sport, uh, cricket. Uh, the Mills were bringing over some English players and they, they brought over uh, cricket. So I don't know if they consider that a ball sport or not. I guess you would. Yes. And, it, it's just that there's these little comments thrown in there that, that really give you that, that bigger picture. So something like uh, him taking the, the afternoon on a Saturday to, uh, to enjoy a, a ball game of whatever game, whatever sport that was, uh, it, it's really great. Mm. Um, there, there's also um, a few pages. Again, there's, there's some accounts where, you know, he worked so much here or that he had cut hay for somebody. Um, but a few of the pages... They're, they're undated, and they have interesting um, recipes, uh, I guess one could call it, for um, either uh, cough cures or for ailments of horses. Um, mm. There was one that was in there to, to treat the bottom of someone's feet, uh, mm. which I thought was pretty great. Well, he, I said before, this is this is a man's Facebook. Maybe it's more like his smartphone as well. You know, he's, he's keeping a, a journal. He keeps things he needs uh, handy and that by having it in the in the journal you can look up about the cure for a cough exactly it's it's like the original pda um okay. which that might be dating myself uh, i don't think people actually use the term pda anymore for um those uh those little handheld devices personal desk assistant is that what uh, that something to that effect i believe it something. was and do you think there's any sense he's he it sounds like he's writing this for himself, uh, as opposed to uh, for another audience. Yeah, I, I get that sense as well. It, it doesn't seem like um, he's aggrandizing anything or or um, making really overly astute observations about things. So it wasn't like it was for posterity necessarily. But um, you know, certain days that he did certain work, uh, whether that could correlate to his accounting later. Um, or whether it was, you know, these, these cures for ailments, um, that, that I really do think that perhaps it was something, um, you know, if he's going to look back on it later in his life, or at least at the end of the year to get a sense of things, um, that, that, that's my general consensus as well, that um, this is definitely a, a very personal-to-him diary. We're talking with David Brooks of Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site about a diary from 1869 in the possession of the collections at uh, Scary Crossing. And um, you mentioned this before, maybe it, you said, but it passed over me. You hope to, do you hope to do anything specific uh, with the diary uh, this coming uh, year when the, the uh, historic sites open? Um, that, that would be fantastic. Um, part of the plan for the winter 
uh, just a little bit more research into it and perhaps um, make some adjustments to our, uh, particularly our school visitation programming. Um, mm -hmm. Some of our, uh, our old, the old DBQs, the document-based questions, a lot of the Common Core standards are going to primary documents as a, as a source for inquiry. Um, so I'm hoping to kind of bring some elements into that. Um, we're already kind of use, utilizing uh, the diary to some degree. Um, Schoharie Crossing is uh, currently having a, a writing contest for the winter. The submissions are due on March 17th. And as part of that, one of the topics that people could write about um, is actually uh, taken as an excerpt out of this diary. Uh, and it kind of, I guess, allows people to use their own creativity and their understanding of the era to kind of piece together their own story that might have been um, kind of what, the, what this man experienced. Um, as I mentioned before about there being a, a mystery involved here and how much I kind of enjoy that myself as, as somebody that has a passion for history, within it there's other little mysteries that um, really kind of jump out. And uh, so I'm hoping to be able to, to utilize this diary um, going forward, not only with school programs, but hopefully um, within either exhibits or other programming here at the site. Let's talk more about uh, Schoharie Crossing in uh, Fort Hunter in Montgomery County, where the Schoharie Creek uh, ends at the Mohawk River. Uh, you're, you're sitting on a lot of history there, which is probably why it's a state historic site. Um, I, I, I just was reading this. I don't know why it struck me. I, that was maybe, uh, well, obvious. it's obvious if you know the story. Uh, the, it, originally, there was a Mohawk settlement there. Correct, yes. Uh, mostly known as uh, the Lower Mohawk Castle, uh, the Upper Mohawk Castle being Canajahari. Um, but there were several families um, of Mohawks that lived here and kind of brought, came in closer um, as a village. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of debate as to where that village really was originally before uh, the British established a fort on the location. Um, but a lot of the evidence afterwards was that there was an acculturation process. Those Mohawks became um, a lot more European in their style of, of dress and um, agriculture and economics. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find uh, truly great is that in working here, um, we have this wide breadth of of history that we can examine. Uh, you have the, the pre-colonial and the colonial era, early republic, and then what's what's evolved from the canal era here at the site. Um, so I'm glad that you started off uh, with, with the Mohawk history here. And as you indicate, the British built a fort here. They built Fort Hunter, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, it was contracted in 1711, constructed in 1712. And at that point, it was the westernmost uh, military outpost um, in what would be the, the frontier for the British um, Empire. Mm. And also, another aspect, it seems to me, and again, I hope I'm on uh, solid ice here with this, that uh, you're quite near uh, the, the site of the Roman Catholic Orysville Shrine, um, yeah. but uh, at Fort Hunter, the Church of England kind of established a, a beachhead, if you will. Yes, um, and th there's, there's a lot of discussion, particularly in early literature, about um, the four kings, these, these Native Americans that had gone and met with Queen Anne um, and to establish religion within their community um, as well as protection from the French and the French allied um, Native Americans as well. Um, so that there is also other documentation from, from Reverend, Reverend Stewart and Barclay who had 
um, overseeing the congregation here. Um, and it ebbed and flowed just how interested a lot of the Mohawks were in uh, being devout in their, their faith here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're lucky enough as, as not only the site, but uh, as a community, uh, the Mohawk community as well, that a lot of these um, uh, reverends had, had also kept a lot of detailed records so we can get a good idea that even if they weren't necessarily practicing the faith uh, quite a bit, that there was something to be said about um, baptisms and marriages being overseen here as well. So we have documentations on that, which uh, has been coming in quite handy for um, mm-hmm. people researching their past. And then as we get into the 1800s, closer to the date of that uh a diary of which we uh, spoke earlier, we have the Erie Canal going through, and the Erie Canal's big engineering problem there was getting over the Schoharie Creek. How did they do that? Uh, well, when, when the canal was first built in the 1820s, they actually went through the creek, um, which proved to be uh, a tremendous obstacle. Uh, barges would be backed up for hours, if not days, um, particularly when the water was high. I mentioned rain being extremely important. When, when the water levels were up, um, it was extremely dangerous. Um, so they wouldn't want to chance it. And if they did, uh, several of them actually were, uh, the barges were destroyed in the creek or going into the Mohawk River. Um, so when they, when they proposed the enlargement, the idea was to uh, create an aqueduct uh, with a lock system on each side that would raise the water of the canal itself over the creek. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why it is slightly further down and we still have a portion of the original is because the glacial till and a lot of the boulders in the creek um, meant that the pilings that need to be driven couldn't uh, get a, a strong foundation. They found one slightly uh, up the, the way here, and they were able to put the aqueduct in in 1841. It was constructed and put into use in 1845. Mm-hmm. And you have also uh, the existing uh, canal system, which is now in the bed of the river, what was called the Barge Canal when it was built? Correct. Yeah, the, the early 20th century, they, they decided that they were going to uh, kind of reinvest in the, in the, the vision and the, uh, the payoff. Perhaps, you know, coming to the 1950s and 60s, a, a lot of people were um, disappointed they didn't have the same uh, economic drive as the original canal or the second uh, enlarged canal would have had. But in 1916 or so, in this particular area, the Mohawk River was canalized. Uh, they dredged out some of the water, they widened certain narrows, um, and they built dams to bring the water level up. Uh, so Tribes Hill Lock is right over here. Uh, I actually cross the lock every day coming to work. And mm-hmm. uh, while it may, it may not be open for navigation now, it's still uh, an absolute wonder to to look at, even as a as a more modern engineering feat. Mm. And modern now is uh, over a hundred years ago, really. It, that's that's true. But for uh, people like us that enjoy history, a hundred years is a drop in the bucket. <laughs> I guess so. And to go back to the earlier history, but an event that uh, is still fresh in mind, uh, many of us, that when the big storms came through in 2011. Uh, the storms did da- a great deal of damage where you are, but they uncovered some. They, they uncovered the location, or maybe more precisely, the location of the old British fort. Um, correct, and it's it's one of the block houses um, that had been excavated uh, after the flooding had washed off what then was a parking lot for the site. 
uh, tore up the, the asphalt and washed it into the field. Uh, but underneath lay the, the brick foundation, or the, the stone foundation, I should say, for one of the blockhouses. Um, and the state archaeologist has spent quite a bit of time. Michael Rhodes was here um, doing some wonderful excavations with his team and discovered some, some new artifacts, um, kind of placing it. Um, the, a lot of the artifacts are 1740s. Um, so in the history of Fort Hunter, there were several f versions of the fort. Uh, there's nothing necessarily in those excavations that indicate that it's the original 1712, uh, but it's definitely 1740s artifacts. Um, and there's also some debate as to whether those previous versions in the 1740s, 1760s versions of the fort were built in the same footprint or not. Um, so again, there's a little bit of mystery there. Uh, perhaps we'll never really know. Um, but, but it's good that we have the location of it. We kind of have uh, a general idea of not only the scale of the blockhouse, but where it oriented to the creek and uh, a lot of the features that wouldn't have changed physically. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Skihari Crossing does kind of slow down for the winter. You mentioned some uh, wintertime events. But uh, I see on your calendar you have the April Canal Clean Sweep coming up. What is that? Yes, uh, that's, that's a... a great across the canal way, the canal corridor, um, on that weekend, different sites are, are going to be hosting a, a canal clean sweep. It's sort of like the spring cleaning for sites along the canal uh, and a lot of parks, whether they're state parks or, or privately funded parks, uh, historical societies, uh, have kind of teamed up with other local organizations, the uh, New York State Canal Corp, um, to just kind of freshen up the sites, you know, that the spring flowers will be out. Um, just to begin preparing um, to welcome the, the visitors into the corridor. Uh, the, the Erie Canal National Heritage Corridor and, and the, the bike trails that go through the Mohawk Valley um, generate a lot of economic um, revenue for the state and for those locations along it. Um, so anybody that, that lives in the general area, particularly the bike path, um, it's really great to see uh, people come out and help because the better we can make it um, and encourage people to use it, uh, the better it is for everybody, not only as a, as a recreational resource and a wellness resource, um, but it, like I said, it, it does generate some, some revenue for those local businesses and have an economic impact. Dave and uh, Brooks, I thank you very much for uh, running out of time. Uh, David okay. is Education Coordinator, Recreation and Parks Aid at Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site in Fort Hunter in Montgomery County here in upstate New York. David Brooks, thank you very much. Thank you. Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site is dedicated to the preservation and interpretation of the Erie Canal as one of the 19th century's greatest commercial and engineering projects. The Visitor Center exhibit traces the history of the Erie Canal and its impact on the growth of New York State and the nation. Within the boundaries of the site are many structures dating from the three eras of the canal's development. At the eastern end of the site's Putman's Lock Stand houses an exhibit on Erie Canal stores. The site's largest structure, the remains of the Schoharie Aqueduct itself, which carried the water of the enlarged Erie Canal over the Schoharie Creek. It's also adjacent to the existing Mohawk River uh, Erie Canal or Mohawk River Barge Canal. Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site offers outreach 
as well as an on-site school program. It has uh, many other uh, activities and uh, exhibits. One of its uh, permanent uh, exhibits is an ongoing one called Little Short of Madness, the story of the Erie Canal. Thomas Jefferson, like many others, thought the idea of a canal across New York State was a little short of madness. But with determination, the state and thousands of hardworking people crossed what Jesse Hawley summed up as the longest canal in the least time, with the least experience, with the least amount of money of the greatest public utility in the world. The exhibit also features 3D video imaging of the Schoharie Creek Aqueduct remains. Come explore that exhibit and discover the marvels of New York's earliest engineering feats. Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site. Thanks to David Brooks for joining us from Schoharie Crossing. You've been listening to the podcast, The Historians. I'm Bob Cudmore.